We are preparing for a season of joy that we have entered into, and I want to share with you this morning about loosing the spirit of joy. It is something we must contend for and, in fact, fight for in a world that's filled with death and sin. So we have a war ahead of us. We have a battle. And I want to share with you a message on that and take you to Acts chapter 16, if you will. Please turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be looking at a time when Paul is entering into his third missionary trip in the field, and um, he comes into a city called Philippi. And it is interesting that the book of Philippians is known as the book of joy. The book of Philippians is known as the book of joy, and it starts chapter 1, even in verse 3, you sense the joy Paul has. He says this, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. So every time he thinks of that church in Philippi, he's got great joy. He's really excited about that church because of what happened there and what took place. And that church for him is a place where joy exists and was loosed into that city. He goes on to say in Philippians 1, 3, 4, 5, and 6, he goes, for I know that the work that he has begun in you, he is able to complete, perfect, finish. And so he just has a great joy. Paul had a great joy over this city and this particular church in that city. And I want to take you through the story of what happened in that city so we as well can begin to understand what it's going to take to unleash that kind of joy in our midst and over this city. How many of you know Detroit needs a spirit of joy? Amen? And in this region, we are praying for God to bring joy. So this becomes a city of joy, a city of celebration of the good things of God. Amen? And so let's look at Acts chapter 16 so that I can bring this into your understanding. We're going to start at verse 6. And it says this, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So uh, Paul and Silas are going They're going to head out into Asia. The Holy Spirit says, nah, not this time. So they take a turn and go through another region. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. Not here, boys, not today. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this is fascinating. So they try to go in one way, and the Holy Spirit says no. So they go to another. They go to another city, and the Holy Spirit says no. So then they go down to Troas, and the Holy Spirit says no. I don't know about you and me, but I would have preferred back three cities ago some information on where to go. But you keep moving. God can't steer a ship if it's sitting still. 
keep moving. So they keep moving. Now, I don't know who this man was. Nobody does. In fact, later in the story, we don't know who he was. Some man in the province, in the region of Macedonia, was praying. One guy praying. We don't know who he is. He's nameless. He's faceless in this story. But in human history, that one prayer of that one guy brought the gospel into Europe, into the western part of the world. One prayer. God hears one prayer. It's not as if an entire nation was crying out to God. One guy in the night was praying. And God, I I think of those old-fashioned operators. You ever see those switchboards where they take a cord, unplug it, and put it in? I'm thinking, this guy over here is praying. Paul's praying, and God just decides to link it up. Paul has a vision, and this guy says, really profound, really deep, deep prayer. Help! There it is. Now what I really like is what Paul does with that. Okay? Put it all together. He says this. He said, When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. You see, Paul's the one who tells us, John tells us, the apostles tell us to test all things. To discern, you know, we get prophetic words, we hear things, people say, the Lord told me this, the Lord told We're to discern them, we're to weigh them and test them. It says that he concluded, so he, he did the math, let's see, I couldn't go here, and I couldn't go here, and I couldn't go there, and then I had a vision in a dream that said, could you come here? Hmm. I think we'll go there. And so they decide to go there. But the there, this is no simple thing. You know, I'm thinking by the fourth trip, he's going, all right, are we sure we're going to get in there? And other times Paul has said, please pray for an open door for us when we get there. He's wondering if the door will be shut again, you know. So he's wondering because who's going to pay for this trip? We forget about this. Oh, there's the apostles. They just said, you know, they got to rent a boat. They got to get a ship. They got to go into this city. They got to travel over land. They got to get this. You can't pick up a cab or a uh, right or a, a lift or something. You're going to have to finance this, and you got to have to go, and you're going to get food, and you got your travelers. And it's in Troas they believe they picked up Luke. The language shifted from they and them to us. So now Luke, the physician's coming along, and so they're ready to go. They feel called, and that's the key, isn't it? The key to perseverance is the calling. The reason we're still here for 28 years praying for this community, praying for God to pour out in this area, is because we were called to it. We didn't start a church here till it was convenient, and then we'll move it over here to where there's more people. I've had people tell me in church leadership, tell me, you know, you need to move out where the money is. No. I am called here. And if I'm called here, there's ministry here, and God's going to do something here. Amen? The calling is the only thing that keeps you in it, right? Am I right? At the end of the night, when you didn't get all the pats on the back or anything else, you know, well, I'm supposed to be here. He was called here. 
And that's what he understands. And if we're going to call for joy, we need to persevere. And so Paul is ready. He's called to go. Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to uh, Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So this is the chief city of that region, and Paul heads right into the heart of it. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul had said. And after that, she was baptized and her household as well. And she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now there is a uh, God confirming what they were supposed to do. You look for the first fruits. When you're stepping out into something by faith, you look for the first fruits of confirmation that you're supposed to be here. And so they go. And as Paul normally does, on Sabbath day, he goes to the synagogue. That term, it's mentioned twice, a place of prayer in the Greek is the Greek word often referenced for synagogue. It's outside the city because this is a Roman province and uh, it was, as you'll see in a few minutes, uh, governed by another spirit. So uh, these folks worshipped outside the city at a place of prayer, at a synagogue for them. But what's interesting about this is it was only women. According to Hebrew law and tradition, you need to have 10 adult males and an adult male is 13 years and older, those responsible to the law. So Uh, you have to have 10 adult males to make up a synagogue, which is called, uh, the 10 men is called a minion. And so you have to have that. If not, so in this particular place, they didn't have 10 Jewish men to build this, to make the synagogue. Uh, So there must have been some men possibly, but mostly women. And so Paul went there and he ministered. And as he's ministering, In this place of prayer to Yahweh, he's telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's telling them that Jesus, Yahweh, is is, uh, sent his beloved son, Jesus, who died for us, gave us uh, uh, his blood for our sin, and rose from the dead. And so Lydia, her heart opens up, she receives salvation, gets baptized, and her whole family, and there's the first fruit of work. And then what does God do? puts a place for them to stay and live. Now they have a headquarters in Philippi. Isn't that good? Now they have a place by which they can rest, they can get nurtured, and they can go to work and begin planting the work of the gospel. And that's what's interesting. I mean, figuratively, the color of purple. Purple is a color that was very expensive to dye. And so uh, in Thyatira, they had uh, purple dye mills and so forth. And Lydia would sell that and came across the, the trading routes and was in Philippi at that time and was making money selling purple and uh So God provided a station for them to stay at. And the color purple is really like God just saying, yeah, this is a royal thing, this is a kingly thing, I've called you to do this. 
How many of you need God to give confirmation time to time that you're moving in the right direction, right? And so they go. And now we continue on with the story and it says this. As, verse 16, as we, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. So now they're walking into the city. They had brought ministry to the synagogue and to the Jews that were there. Do you remember Paul said to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles? He does that work, gets established. Now he's moving into the city to begin bringing the gospel to these Gentiles, to these Romans. And as he's bringing it in, he's on his way to what? Place of prayer. One of you heard me when I read it. He's on his way to a place of prayer. Where does the enemy want to make sure you don't go to? A place of prayer. On his way to a place of prayer, and this woman who has a spirit of divination. The Greek word for divination here is pythos. She has a spirit of python upon her. Divination, fortune telling. And the spirit of python goes all the way back to the oracle of Delphi. In the Greek world, it was a place where rulers, kings, peoples, officials would go and this oracle, who was a woman possessed by a demon spirit, a python spirit, would tell them their future and their tales. This is the same thing in this city. This woman was demonized with a spirit, a python spirit, that would give false hope and false prophecies into people's lives, so much so that the entire city was wrapped up literally in the spirit of python it gave them hope and a future to hear what this fortune teller would tell them how many of you know everybody wants to know what's coming tomorrow everybody lives in fear for what may happen and so they get their peace and they get their their future mapped out through their horoscopes and fortune telling by a spirit of python and it traps you into a lie And so she's there. And what is a python specifically? Python is the largest, strongest snake that there is. They have fangs, but they are not poisonous. But their teeth are arced so that whatever they bite into, it can't escape. And as it grabs them, it then slowly wraps and coils itself around their body continuing to squeezing, squeezing, squeezing the life out of them. They become paralyzed for fear and they are crushed and the life is extinguished. Imagine a spirit that is doing that. A spirit that once it has hold of you, a bite in you, it begins to wrap its lies around you. It begins to circle and circle and it begins to squeeze you. That's what's around this region, brothers and sisters. We've been contending with this spirit for over 28 years as a church. It's a python spirit. It's been wrapped around this region of Detroit and and southeast Michigan for a long time. And it is squeezing out a spirit of witchcraft and divination. 
It's causing the church to be immobilized. It can't, is that right, immobilized? So where it cannot move, it can't function. Do you know that we have more churches per square capita than any other city in the United States? Yet we are more segregated than any other community. More division, more problems. The church can't seem to break through in bringing revival and bringing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're not praying together. We're not acting together. As pastors, we've tried and tried and tried on a number of occasions to get everyone together. And every attempt we do, how many of you remember the call? How many of you remember uh, 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 each? Thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. They start and then they get strangled out. We can't keep it moving. And the spirit of Python hates the move of God's Spirit. And how many of you know that it's through the Spirit we will find unity? It's a territorial spirit. It says that this woman was owned by people and the owners made great wealth from this spirit, this gift. It's territorial. And so the economy is restricted by this sense. We put more hope and faith into the auto companies than we do Jesus Christ. We think that maybe a new leader will solve the problem. The solving is going to come when we destroy the spirit of Python over this city. But it's going to take people who understand how to pray and how to move into the spirit. So Python spirit hates the ministry of the prophetic. Why? Because it is a false prophetic It is a divination spirit. It is a spirit that gives false prophecy, false hope, and lies. It hates when the people of God become prophetic and understand the gifts of the Spirit. It wants to quench Pentecostal churches. It wants to quench the move of the Spirit. It wants to restrict it and isolate us from getting together in the heavenlies. Go ahead, meet on Sundays, meet on Wednesdays, sing your songs, read your Bibles, do your devotions, but don't do war in the heavenlies. Stay out of that realm because it doesn't want to contend with you. And so it keeps the church wrapped up in all these side issues and and circling around foolishness. And so this spirit had taken over Philippi. It was its economy, it was its finance, it was its money. And then we go on and it says that she followed these two, uh, Paul and Silas, and said, these are men of God who are have the words or the way of salvation. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. What's wrong with that? She's right. Now some say that in the original language, instead of the word the, it should be a. These men are of the, God, of the Lord Most High and who speak a way of salvation. Not the way of salvation. But what she's doing is identifying her gift with that preaching of the gospel. You ever have that happen? How many, how many, uh, how many people do we have engaged in some form of witchcraft, some kind of sorcery, some kind of false doctrine that want to attach themselves to the Christian church? Right? Uh, I remember when I worked at GM, I had a, uh, there was a Mormon guy there that always called me brother. Hey, brother, how you doing? 
brother, let's talk about the Lord. Hey, brother. And one day I had to sit down. I had said, do not call me brother anymore. Because to everybody else, they thought the Mormon was my brother. You are not a brother to me in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's the same kind of a thing. Right? So she was attaching her gifting and her ability to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says after many days, Paul put up with it. And finally he said, enough! And he rebuked that spirit. But I have to believe the reason he waited a few days. Why not do it right away? Because I believe Paul was fasting and praying. And I believe that Paul understood the spiritual dynamic in that city. That the minute he came against that spirit all hell was going to break loose. I think he needed to get a foothold of the gospel and his preaching into that city before the enemy was going to try to disrupt it and break it. Because how many of you remember when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and his apostles, his disciples, tried to deliver the spirit out of a little kid and they couldn't. And Jesus came and he did it and they said, why couldn't we? And he said, because this kind, this kind, Not like the others that you went into the cities and towns and cast out. No, he said, this kind, this another level, this kind takes prayer and fasting. That's what Paul understood he was contending with in the the city of Philippi. He knew that that python spirit was a regional spirit, was so ferocious and so powerful over its captivity of that city that the minute he began warfare with it, all hell was going to break loose. So he waited many days. I believe he prayed, I believe he fasted, and I believe they prepared. And so finally it says that as she kept doing it, Paul, having great, been greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I like that, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. I find that interesting too. Didn't come out that very second. Didn't come out that very minute. Came out that very hour. I don't know what kind of contention was going on. I don't know if there was more to it, if there was more wrestling in the spirit. If you've ever dealt with the demonic, you know, we, we see Jesus do it, and I wish we had that. We have that authority, but uh, they just don't seem to listen as well to us. <laughs> they challenge because they want to know where you stand. Paul called it out. That thing left. Amen? And so he called that spirit out. Now, look what happens. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They've disturbed our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Roman citizens to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. You mess with that level of spirit in warfare, there will be retaliation. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know when you contend with the demonic, there is an aftermath. There is a war. You started a battle. You went into the heavenlies. You began to use your authority. And when you began to use your authority, the enemy's not going to give up a territory that it had worked so hard to gain. 
And so the immediate thing is, let's beat the pulp out of these guys. And so as they preach and break the spiritual power, the physical aspect of what they had gained from it comes against them. They pull them into the city. They tear their clothes off. They didn't give them a trial. They didn't ask what their point of view was. They just ripped their clothes off and began to beat them with rods, pulverizing them. Now look at The Jews, according to the book of Deuteronomy, say that when you whip someone, you can only whip 40 lashes. And the rabbis figured, we may lose count, so let's keep it to 39. So we don't violate God's law. But this is a group of pagan Romans. They're not counting. They take these sticks and reeds and they begin pounding Paul and Silas, beating them, beating them, beating them. That's what men do. That's what people do. There are many times you ask, God, how could you allow this? It's what people by their will are doing. That you may have done the spirit work, you may have quenched, you know, you may have broken the power of the demonic and broken that spirit, but the influence of human beings can still retaliate and come against you. And many of us quit at that point and go, oh, forget it. God didn't help me. What's going on? Where was he? But that's just the retaliation because, in fact, you are getting the job done. So they begin to beat and flog them. But if we're going to get in this fight, we have to be willing to stay in this fight. This is where we're going to lose people. When we begin to go into the heavenlies, when we begin to worship, when we begin to do spiritual warfare, when we begin to call out and pray in tongues and lay hands on the sick, and when we begin to call for fasts, and and the enemy is furious and there's retaliation, this is where many drop off. But you have to remember the call. Paul remembers, I was called to this city. The door opened. I saw a vision. There was confirmation. I got a house in this place. God wants me here, and I'm going to see it through. Don't give up the fight. See it through. So they want to throw him into the jail. Now, this is fascinating. They said, you better protect him. And uh, they, they said they threw him into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Now, I would imagine they had to carry them into the jail. These dudes are busted up, right? It's not like they're going to get up and run away. But the jailer takes his orders very seriously. You want me to keep them safe? Where do you want them? Put them all the way in the back, and then turn right, and then go down, and in the back. Then, I'm I'm imagining they're probably unconscious. Then, put their feet in the stockade and chain them up. We are not going to lose these guys on my watch. Or I'll end up like them. He puts them back there. And I, I, I just love this next part of the story. Because you're going to... You're going to retaliate against the men of God? You ain't seen nothing yet. Devil, you're going to be sorry you picked a fight with these two boys. Amen? 
It says around midnight. Now, I'm figuring it's around midnight because they're just waking up. Uh, You know, I don't know how long, how this process took. In the middle of the day, they're praying, they're flogged, they're beaten. The magistrates, they're thrown in jail. Maybe it's 5, 6 o'clock in the evening. They're trying to get their senses, get their sensibility. They begin to do what? Oh, they, they amp it up now. They, they say, okay. They, they didn't go, <laughs> Oh, God forsook us again. Where are you, Lord? They began to worship God. They began to recognize you have to be able to see in the Spirit. You have to understand spiritual dimensions. They recognized. They ruined the work of the enemy in that city. They recognized. They put a mess of trouble on that python spirit. It's gone out of that girl. And now it ruined their business, ruined their finances. They're mad, but I'm glad they're mad. That means we've done something good. They begin to worship God. They begin to celebrate Jesus, His kingship, His dominion, His authority. The kingdom of God is in this house. The kingdom of God has come to this city. The kingdom of God is being broken loose in this place. They begin to praise God and sing, and they're worshiping. Now, you imagine the other guys. They're in the jail cell going, what the heck is going on? They're listening to these songs, these words. The jailer's going, he hears some kind of echo through the chamber of the cave. What, what is that? Everybody's listening to the words. And then, <laughs> this is the level. This is the realm in high praise, in the realm of worship, where you do damage to the principalities in the air, the powers and ruling authorities in the heavenlies. When worship goes up, it does damage to the enemy. This is why we spend the whole first half of our time together worshiping God, seeking Him, praising Him, and exalting Him. It's clearing the heavenlies. Now, if we don't follow through with clearing the heavenlies and now pronouncing as the ambassadors of the kingdom, Thy will be done and calling it forth into the earth, we're not going to achieve what we should. So we've broken it up. We've spoken into the atmosphere. And what comes next? The response of God. There's a rumbling that starts. It begins to shake. Things are moving. And the earth begins to quake. As they lift up praise in the heavenlies, the earth has to respond. This region is looking for spirit-filled people who know how to worship God, who know how to warfare in their spirit and heavenly realm. That's our job, people. That's our job. And as the earth begins to shake, the very cells and the bars are breaking off of the walls and falling down and falling open and breaking open and the chains fall off their hands. It had to be a violent shake. Oh, Paul and Silas got shook up by that mob, but I think the earthquake shook them up too, broke off the stocks off their legs. And they're getting up like, oh, glory to God. Woo! Something's breaking loose. Something's breaking loose. And the jailer freaks out. He goes, oh no, what am I going to do? I mean, in his mind, you remember in, in Acts when Peter escaped the prison, the angel took him out of the prison. Herod said, kill those jailers. 
You lose a prisoner. I told you to lock them up and lock them up tight. You can't lock up the power of Jesus Christ. You can beat me. You can slay me. You can kill me. But you can't stop the move of God. God moved. And the jailer's ready to just put a sword in his belly because it's easier to die by his hands than by what they're going to do to him and possibly his family. So he figures if he kills himself, it may look like they did it and, and his family might be spared. But Paul says, hey, hey, wait a minute. Nobody went anywhere. They're all too freaked out. <laughs> Don't do it. And I love this. And here's the victory. The warfare of worship is the next stage, and it brought this. What must I do to be saved? There it is. The door is open to the city of Philippi. This is a picture of what happened in the spirit realm. Now that that spirit was eradicated and that the power that the people had over the government is broken... Because the earthquake comes and the Spirit of God is released. The Spirit of salvation floods the city. And the jailer represents what's going on in that city. He falls on his face and says, What must I do to be saved? Because he had heard the announcement, These are those who know the way of salvation. He heard the songs being sung. God prepared the jailer's heart. To say, what must I do? Now the word saved is sozo. It means delivered. It means healed. He could easily ask, what must I do to be delivered from this situation? Jesus. You know, folks, sometimes since you're ministering and reaching out to other people, you, you, you keep it to just winning a soul. But there's times you can win them instead of, what must I do to be saved? Saved. What do you mean saved? What does that mean? You could tell them, what, what do you need to be delivered from your situation? What do you need to be healed from your situation? It's all the same word. Sozo means healed. It means delivered. It means whole. It means free. And it means sin forgiven. Take any avenue you want. You'll get to Jesus. You understand what I just said? I'm not saying anything leads to Jesus. I'm saying take the avenue he provides. Right? If it's healing, drawn to Jesus by healing. What must I do to be healed? What must I do to be delivered? And he did. And his whole family got saved. And from then on, you see what God did. And so it's so awesome that God broke that power over Philippi and a spirit of joy is released as the jailer and his family rejoice in the salvation of God. Now wait, this story isn't over yet. Hold on to your hats. And it goes on. I love this. This is what happened at midnight. Oh, I already read that. Here we go. Uh, Verse 30. Uh, nope, 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them out the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced with his entire household that they believed in God. There's the joy. There's the joy. There's the joy. I can't wait for this region to begin busting with joy because of the salvations, because of the healings, because of the good thing of God pouring out in this community. It's coming if we will fight for it. 
Verse 30 through, it ain't over yet. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, ah, just let those guys go. And the jailer reported the words of Paul saying, magistrates have sent for you to go, therefore come on out, now you can go. And Paul said, they beat us publicly and uncondemned. We are Roman citizens. They threw us in prison and now they want to throw us out secretly? I don't think so. No, no. Let them come here and escort us out. Come on, don't you love someone who understands authority? Look, do you understand what's going on here? He whooped the devil. He beat the power in that city. It broke the power of that python spirit so great, it even broke the power of the magistrates and the governing authorities over that city. To where now, he was in the fight. He was in it. He was called to it, and he knows that whatever God has begun in you, he's able to... Oh, that's what he wrote to the church at Philippi. Because he knows that what God begins, he's able to complete. God sent me here. God confirmed for me to be here. I cast down that spirit of Python. You can beat me up, but you ain't done yet. I worship God and an earthquake came and busted that place open. There's rejoicing. There's salvation. And now you come here. And the magistrates came to him and apologized and begged for him not to go to Caesar over this whole issue. Who's on top now? Jesus. And so, Philippi, once a city under the bondage of a python spirit, is now a city of joy. Joy is released, and the gospel is released in that city, and Philippi becomes one of Paul's favorite cities, and he writes them fondly, with joy, over what God did, and what God is able to do with his people. I don't know what you're fighting. I don't know what spirit of python is paralyzing you. I don't know what kind of fear has made you stop doing what you're doing. I don't know what kind of retaliation the enemy has come against you with. But if you will pour into praise, if you will move into worship, if you will understand your call to where you're supposed to be and why you're there, and press in and press in, God will not only give you victory, He will make your enemy bow before you. That's the power of Jesus.